You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. It was the last day. Soon the thousands of people gathered there in Jerusalem would be beginning their treks back to their homes. It was the last day. Not a time to discuss secondary matters. Not a time to chit-chat about ancillary issues. It was the last day. It was time to cut to the chase. It was time to grab people's attention with the core issue of their lives. As I think about the crowds gathered there in the temple complex, I can see heads turning. Can you? I can see heads turning, trying to figure out who just shouted, who just spoke. Because above the hubbub of the crowd, this voice rang out, bold, clear, gracious. Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And as heads turn, seeking to locate the speaker, you can hear the whispers in the crowd. Someone says, it's that, it's that preacher from Galilee. Someone else says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. It was Jesus of Nazareth, who in that potentially hostile crowd nevertheless extended probably the most gracious invitation fallen human ears have ever heard. Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. A.W. Pink, two generations ago, called this the gospel in a sentence. (laughs) Join me, if you will, please, in the gospel of John, chapter 7. The gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. For our guest today, you're joining us uh, in a long study through the gospel of John, and we're taking it passage by passage. Today we come to John, chapter 7, 37 through 39. As we learned from Pastor Mark last Sunday when he preached, Jesus is visiting Jerusalem for the first time in just about exactly one year. For those of you who have been with us on our journey through the Gospel of John, the events of chapter 6. Remember chapter 6, Jesus feeding the 5,000 with the uh, loaves and the fish? That confrontation the next day in the Capernaum Synagogue? That was six months ago. There's six months between chapter 6 and chapter 7. In those intervening six months, Jesus has spent his time not so much in public ministry, but these previous six months, Jesus is primarily focused on his 12 apostles. He's traversed with them across the whole region of Galilee from north to south and east to west, spending lots of time with these men, training them for the day when they will take the torch of the gospel to their world. Now we're six months from the cross. Jesus will die there in Jerusalem in just six short months. And he's arrived in Jerusalem about midway through the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles was normally held late September, early October. And if you're trying to picture this in your imagination, you picture the city of Jerusalem and all across the city on the flat rooftops and any open courtyards that can be found and along the roads leading into the city and probably even along some of the town streets. There are these huts, these booths, these tabernacles made out of branches 
of trees that people have gathered from the surrounding hillsides. And the people have lived in these tabernacles all week for the feast. We're going to read in a moment John chapter 7, 37 through 39. And as we do, after we try to get the setting, what's going on here, I want you to look for just a few things. I want you to look for Jesus' astonishingly gracious invitation. I want you to look at the promise he gave. And then we'll spend some time on looking at people's responses. Let's read the passage now. Are you there? John chapter 7. I'll begin reading at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. What's going on here? John tells us, and he almost surely was there, John says it was the last day of the feast, the great day. He's talking about the Feast of the Tabernacles. The Feast of the Tabernacles was, quite frankly, it was a happy festival. There were three primary festivals in the Jewish calendar that people would travel to Jerusalem for. There might have been other feasts, but three big ones. This would have been the last one of the season. As I said, it was at the end of the harvest season. Um, and the people enjoyed it because it was full of joy and celebration. They'd get together with friends and relatives, sing songs, eat good food, enjoy fruit, have these wonderful ceremonies celebrating God's grace for a whole week. This festival was to teach the people, remind the people of several things. One was pretty obvious, I think. This was an agrarian culture. They were heavily dependent on agriculture and shepherding, sheep and goats. They had a lot of vineyards and fruit trees, even to this day in Israel. Israel is known for its citrus fruits. And this has been the season when they're picking their fruits, picking their grapes, picking uh, fruits from the trees. And they want to be reminded of their dependence upon God. So one reason they had this festival of tabernacles was an annual reminder of just how much they depended on God for rain. How much they depended on Him for providing what they needed for food. But there was another reason. And that was gratitude looking back. It wasn't just looking at this year. It was looking back because these people lived in these tabernacles, these branch-constructed booths. It's a reminder that years before, their ancestors had been provided for and protected by God out in the wilderness of Sinai. Some of you know this story. That God rescued his people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, and for 40 years, God provided for them and protected them. He provided food from heaven, bread from heaven. He provided water. He provided their clothing. God provided all these things for his people for 40 years, living out there in tents. And so as a reminder of God's previous provision for his people, they lived in these tabernacles, these branch-constructed booths for a whole week. A reminder that they should be grateful. So a reminder of their dependence, a reminder to be grateful. But then there was a third reason. It's a little more subtle, but it was there. And you know it was there by listening to the verses from the Old Testament they would quote during their celebration of tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles also had a forward look, where the people expressed a longing for the coming Messiah. 
a longing for the coming Messiah and the blessings he would bring. Now, there's part of the Feast of the Tabernacles that actually doesn't come from the Old Testament. Somewhere, two or three hundred years before Jesus was here on the earth, um, the Jews began a tradition. It's not against the Bible, so it's not wrong to do. It just wasn't prescribed through Moses. But they had this traditional part of the Feast of Tabernacles that we'll just call it the water ceremony. And so every day for seven days, the feast lasted for a whole week, and then it had an eighth day of celebration as well, a holy, a solemn assembly. But for the seven days of the Feast of Tabernacles, every day a priest would take a golden pitcher. And he would take that golden pitcher and leave the temple complex and go down the road, down the ravine, to a pool down there at the bottom of the hill called the Pool of Siloam. It was actually a spring-fed reservoir. And interestingly, if you ever get to Israel, that pool is still there to this day. It's not, it's not real big. It could easily fit inside this room. But this spring-fed reservoir there within the city walls uh, supplied water even during hard times, times of uh, maybe being besieged. They had this water coming in to that reservoir providing for the people. The priest would take his golden pitcher and he would dip it in the dip it in the pool of Siloam, and then he would be followed by more priests. There was a procession of priests as well as a parade of faithful people, and he would begin the journey back up the road, up through the ravine toward the temple complex. And while he went up, people would be singing psalms of praise, and they were called the Hallel Psalms. If you read your Bible, you can find them. These were the songs that people sang at Psalms 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18, right in that section. These people would sing the Hallel Psalms, and the priests would be blowing the ram's horns, and people would be shaking branches in one hand, and in the other hand, they'd have a piece of citrus fruit, a reminder of God's provision. And so you can picture this festive occasion with lots of singing and shouting and ram's horns and branches waving as the priest and the people carried this water up the hill to the temple complex. They would enter the water gate, and the priest would come to the altar, and he would circle it. He would go around that altar with the people following him, still singing, still singing the ram's horn, celebrating God's provision of water. And then he would pour the water there on the base of the altar. A reminder that God has provided once again. He provided water for the people out there in the desert. And he will provide water with his coming Messiah. There is a particular meaning to this water ceremony that I don't want us to miss. I'm going to do something. I'm going to turn back to the book of Exodus. And you can join me there if you want. Exodus 17. We're going to go back to the days of Moses for a few minutes. And we're going to see why these people of Israel uh, decided to start this ceremony. They were wanting to remind the people of God's miraculous provision of water out in the desert. Exodus chapter 17. Let me begin reading at verse 1. We're back in Moses' day now. Uh, this is what? Some... 1,400 years before Jesus in Jerusalem. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, 
pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. And take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you will strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Now for a number of years the people have said, we need to remember that. We need to remember God's provision of water for our ancestors at the rock of Horeb. And so they began this water ceremony to remind the people year after year so the parents and grandparents could teach their children and grandchildren God's provision, God provides. And then also to look forward to the day when the Messiah would come. And they would quote verses like this from Zechariah 14.8. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem. A forward look. That one day, one day the Messiah is going to come. And when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring the ultimate blessings. My friends, it was probably in this setting, on the last day of the feast, that Jesus stood up. You see, teachers sat to give their lessons back then. And Jesus would have been sitting teaching the people the word of God. And yet now is the time on this last day of the feast. And Jesus stands up taking the posture of a herald. Taking the posture of, of one crying out in the wilderness. And above the hubbub of the crowd noise, he shouts, he shouts, Anyone who is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Significant statement. Let's not miss the impact. I was reading something John Piper said about this passage, and I was so impressed with Christ in his place in light of this festival. I wanted to read it to you. Dr. Piper says, whether the people of the feast grasp the full significance of this or not, we can see from our perspective on John's whole gospel that Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of Jewish feasts. He was the fulfillment in the sense that the saving power and grace of God which the Jews celebrated were now present and uniquely available in him. The longing for God and the arrival of his kingdom kept alive by this recurring feast needs not be a mere longing anymore. God has drawn near in His Son, and He's offered His saving rule to all who would submit. The waiting is over. And Jesus said, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, therefore, and believe the gospel. And I think Dr. Piper is right, that for hundreds of years, People have celebrated these festivals looking forward, looking forward, looking forward, as well as looking back. But now Jesus stands up and says, that was shadow. I'm the substance. I am the one who cast that shadow back into the Old Testament. These festivals ultimately are about me, the Messiah. And even this water ceremony pointed to him, Jesus Christ, the fountain of life himself. Let's listen to Jesus' gracious invitation. Let's enjoy every word of it. When Jesus stood up, he shouted, Anyone! It doesn't get any more broad than that, does it? And I picture that crowd. I picture that crowd. And we know from Acts chapter 2, when people came to the feasts, they came from all across the Mediterranean. Almost of them would have been ethnic Jews, but 
They didn't all speak Hebrew as their native tongue. Some spoke Greek. Some probably spoke some other languages. They came from all across the Mediterranean. There were people of all stripes and sizes. And mixed in among them would have been some Gentiles who wanted to know the God of the Jews. And so it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Jesus says, anyone. And we would say in our culture, it doesn't matter if you're black or white or Asian or indigenous. Anyone. Male or female. Anyone. Child, teen, young adult, middle-aged, senior citizen. Anyone. Single, married, divorced, widowed, anyone. Illiterate, PhD, anyone. No matter what your background, no matter what you've done in life, no matter what those things are that you wish no one knew about, anyone, anyone. Jesus' invitation is broad. But it does have a condition, doesn't it? Did you notice Jesus' condition there? He said, anyone who, what? If anyone thirsts. If anyone thirsts. There's a condition. You have to be thirsty. You have to thirst. Quite frankly, people, there are a lot of folks who don't feel any thirst for Christ. There's something wrong with their taste buds. It's called sin. And they seem content to continue their foolish pursuit of trying to satisfy this thirsting of their soul, drinking out of the muddy puddles of this world we live in. And this is not a new problem. This, This is a very ancient problem where people's taste buds are all screwed up. And then they try to find satisfaction for their thirst in the wrong places. And And hundreds of years before, even in Jeremiah's day, God spoke to Jeremiah the prophet, and he said, My people, my people have committed two errors. First, they've forsaken me, God says. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. And secondly, they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And way back in Jeremiah's day, God is already calling people out, saying, what have you done? Here I am, God, the source of living water. I can satisfy this thirsting of your soul. And yet, you reject me, you ignore me, and instead you try to construct these cisterns holding the stuff of this world, thinking the the stuff of this world will somehow slake your thirst. But your cisterns that you've made for yourself, they're, they're broken, they're cracked, they can't even hold water. And the problem was true in Jeremiah's day and the problem was true in Jesus' day and the problem was true in, in our day. And yet the good news is, my friends, as some of you have experienced or maybe some of you are experiencing even today, the Holy Spirit comes and He does some surgery on your taste buds. And when you before, previously, you thought you could find satisfaction in the muddy puddles of this world. You, you thought there was some merit in going to the cesspools of this world, getting your thirst satisfied. But you've noticed an increasing dissatisfaction in your soul. That the things you used to run to for satisfaction don't satisfy you anymore. And, and there's this dissatisfaction, there's this discomfort 
this restlessness of your soul. And, and you might look at that restlessness as a curse, but I want to tell you, my friend, that's a blessing. It is a blessing if God has given you a holy dissatisfaction with the cesspools of your past. If he's given you this restlessness, this, this, this feeling in your heart that whatever I've been running to isn't working. That's his kindness to you. And as painful as that is, it's his kindness to you. That he's doing surgery on your taste buds. He's, he's changing your taste buds so that the cesspools of this world now seem very unsatisfying, maybe even disgusting to you. And you find in your soul this, this desire for Christ. That's his grace, my friends. That's his grace to you. You see, we were made. We were made to enjoy God. We, we were made to find our satisfaction in Him. What did the psalmist say? At your right hand. At your right hand, there's pleasure forevermore. We were made for that. And yet sin entered the human race. Sin entered us. And it messed up everything about us. Even our taste. Even our spiritual taste buds have been screwed up, messed up by sin in the fall. And we... We've been thirsty for the wrong things. We've been hungry for the wrong things. Things that can never satisfy the, the hunger, the thirst of our souls. Till God comes and he restores what was lost in the fall. And he gives us that thirst, that hunger again. And so for people that, that feel that thirst, they say, yes. Jesus says, let them come to me. Let them come to me. Let's be clear what Jesus is saying here. People in our day sometimes miss the point of this. And they say, yeah, I mean, I've talked to people in our, in our community about the Lord. And I've had people say to me things like, yeah, I, I need to turn over a new leaf. Yeah, I need to get my act together. I need to get back to church. My friends, that's not the invitation from Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, come to morality. Get, your, get yourself acceptable to God. Clean up your act. Turn over a new leaf. Make yourself somehow presentable to God. Jesus is not saying, come to morality. He is not saying, come to religion. Get back to church. Start giving money. Do those, do those things and somehow God will be impressed with that. He's not saying, come to morality. He's not saying, come to religion. Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me. That Jesus himself, our Savior, is the fountain of life. You don't just come and stand there. Kids, kids, we have in our foyer, our lobby, uh, a water fountain. <laughs> I watch the kids on Sunday out there. That fountain gets used 90% of the time by kids. I've watched. <laughs> oh, they love drinking out of that fountain. They, they love getting their faces wet, their clothes wet. And then you take them out into the freezing cold, you know. <laughs> Kids, you wouldn't walk, if you were thirsty, you wouldn't walk up to that fountain in the lobby and just stand there, would you? You wouldn't just stand there in front of it. What would you do, kids? If you were thirsty, what would you do if you went to that fountain? Kids? You'd drink. That's right. You would drink. And Jesus doesn't just say, come to me. He says, come to me and drink. That Jesus wants us to bring him into our lives. He wants us to to take him in. How did John begin his gospel in chapter 1, verse 12? He says, To as many as received him, he gave the right to be called children of God. 
He wants us to receive him, to take him into our lives, that he can radically infiltrate all that we are. But Jesus says, look at your Bibles again. Whoever, the next verse, verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of water. Now it's fascinating there. We need to appreciate what he's saying. There is a premise here. There is an underlying premise that when we come to Jesus and drink, he will pour living water into us. There is an into us premise to all this. That he will come and pour into us, even as we sang this morning, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his love, his acceptance. All of those things that wrap together into describing redemption, salvation. He'll pour that into us. He will pour into us His Spirit. But do you notice Jesus' promise here? His invitation is, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then the promise. The promise is, and out of him will flow springs of living water. Out of him. You see, Jesus wants us not only to be receivers of His grace, but He wants us to be disseminators of His grace. He wants us not only to be receivers of his mercy, his salvation, but he wants us to let it flow out of us as well. And he describes the Holy Spirit. And he says that he will give us the Holy Spirit. And he wants us not to be just receptacles. He doesn't want us to be stagnant ponds. He wants us to be fountains. He says, out of this person who believes will flow, as Pastor Nate said, not trickles, but rivers. Rivers of water, rivers of living water. And you know what? He does that. He not only fills us with his grace, he disseminates his grace through us as his people. He said, he's talking about, John says, he was talking about the Spirit, even though the Spirit hadn't been given in this particular way yet. Six months from this time, Jesus will die on the cross. Three days after that, he will rise again. Forty days after that, he would ascend to heaven, glorified. And at that point, upon the ascension of Jesus Christ, he would pour out his spirit on his people. He would pour out his Holy Spirit on the church, his people. And now what's going to happen? What's going to happen to his people now that he's given his spirit? Andy Royer was here a few weeks ago. Some of you were here. Memorable sermon. Andy preached on Acts 1.8. Let me refresh your memory. Acts 1.8 says, Jesus said, as he was ready to ascend into heaven, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was the fulfillment of this promise seven months previously there in the Jerusalem temple. When Jesus said, John records, that the Spirit would come And the rivers of water would flow, not just into us, but through us. So how did the people respond? Jesus gave this astonishingly gracious invitation. By the way, you realize that uh, he was sticking his neck out to do that. In fact, what were the responses of the people? Now, I picture Jesus. He was a master teacher. And I picture Jesus as he stood up to give that herald, to give that crying out, Anyone who thirsts! I picture him making eye contact with people. And as he made eye contact with people there in that crowd of thousands, I'm guessing, in fact, I'm pretty sure, 
that some of the eyes that met his had a look of indifference. They didn't care. They didn't care. They're already thinking. This is the last day of the feast. We've got we to gotta get out to our tabernacle and get packed up. We've got a big journey ahead of us. We've got to get going. How do you get the kids? You know, and they're already thinking about the next thing. They, they're not caring about Jesus' astonishing invitation. He just shouted into their ears. Some of the people were indifferent. Some of the people were just outright hostile. Some of the eyes whose eyes met Jesus, when he looked at some of the people, some of the eyes he met, had hostility in their eyes, hatred in their eyes. In fact, some of them, John tells us right here in this section of his gospel, some of the people wanted to kill him. And in fact, in six months, they would do just that. They, they killed him. Some of the people killed him. It isn't it astonishing that even the people who are looking at him with hatred, Jesus still says, anyone who thirsts, anyone, let him come to me and drink. Isn't he gracious beyond our wildest imaginations? But there were other people who heard that invitation and said, this, this is the Christ. This, this is the Messiah. And I believe some of those people did come to Jesus that day and they did drink of him. Next Sunday's Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, two weeks from the day, we're going to get into verses 40 and following. But let me just whet your appetite by reading three or four verses in the next passage. John 7:40 says, When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Someone like Moses. Others said, This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem? They didn't know Jesus' birth, did they? And comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was division among the people over him. There was division. You know, just like people in Jesus' day treated him differently. There was a variety of responses. There may be a variety of responses even here today. But I want to talk primarily to those of you who have a thirst for Jesus Christ right now. Some of you kids, some of you teens, some of you adults. When you hear the words of Jesus ringing from the scriptures, you know in your heart that you're tired. You are tired of trying to slake the thirsting of your soul with the cesspools of this world. You're tired of it. And you're saying there's got to be something more. There's got to be something different. And I'm holding before you today Jesus Christ, the fountain of living water. And I call you today to listen to him. Listen to him when he says, anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Would you come to Christ today? What are you thirsty for? Are you thirsty for mercy? Are you thirsty for grace? Are you thirsty for forgiveness? Are you thirsty for acceptance? These and more he will give you today. For those of you who have drunk in the grace of Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. Can I remind you, can I remind me, that Jesus Christ did not save us to make us like the Dead Sea. You familiar with the Dead Sea? Do you know why they call it the Dead Sea? Because it's dead. <laughs> this isn't hard. It's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. There's, there's nothing can live in that sea. Do you know why? It has no outlet. The Dead Sea is at the lowest place on the planet 
on the planet Earth. It's, it's the lowest place. You can't get any lower and still be on the surface of the Earth. And because it's the lowest place, there is no outlet. So the water comes down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea, has nowhere to go except evaporation. And so over the millennia, the Dead Sea has gotten saltier and saltier, heavier and heavier with minerals, so much so that nothing can grow in it. It's dead. You know, and some people think of the Christian life that way. You know, I, I, I just want to be a receiver. I just want to be a repository for anything I can get from Jesus. And Jesus says, no, I want rivers of water to flow from you. I want rivers of water to flow from you, through you. I want you to be a disseminator of my grace. I want you to be a disseminator of my gospel. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And I think of this time of year. Here we are this week, Good Friday, next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And maybe more than other times of the year, you and I will have the privilege of talking to kids at school, kids, people at the workplace, extended family members, about Jesus Christ. And to say, Lord, help me remember what you designed me to be. Springs of water, springs of water, rivers of water, that I can be spreading the gospel wherever I go, here in this community and wherever you take me in this world. There were no stagnant ponds. We're fountains. We're rivers, flowing rivers of grace and mercy. We're going to pray together here in a moment, but let me just tell you the way the Bible ends. The Bible ends with this wonderful promise. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty, come. Let him who desires take the water of life without price. In a moment, we're going to stand and pray together. And then if any of you want to talk more about your soul, um, how to be right with God, I'm glad to hang around and talk with you for a while. I'll tell you what, I'm just going to stay right up here for a little while. And if you want to come up and talk, glad to talk. If we need more people to join us, I'll grab some other people that can talk to you about being right with God. But isn't Jesus gracious? Anyone, anyone, that's all of us here can answer that one. Anyone who is thirsty, let him come and drink.